All right, there we go. David Lasher, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking me aboard. Glad to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. Um, like you know, like I was saying before we uh, before we got started, I you know stumbled on your Twitter account and then your website and got to reading on some of your policies, and I I I was a big fan. So obviously, it made a lot of sense to uh, invite you on the show, and just want to start off by knowing how the campaign trail's been treating you so far. With uh, what less than forty days out from the general election, it must be pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm more than 18 months in and uh, 40 days to go, and it has been treating both me and my running mate, Christiana Logan-Smith. It's been treating us well. Uh, You would know, Taylor, that, and your audience would know that we in third parties don't often get a chance to bring attention to our campaigns, more important to our ideas and principles. But I think I have been getting that opportunity in my campaign, and it's very gratifying so where, where are we? Uh, I, w- I would share, Taylor, that one of the important things for libertarian candidates to do that I, I don't think enough actually engage in is getting out to the civic organizations early in their, in their campaigns, being in the issue forums, and even if it's a, an audience, or maybe especially if it's an audience that isn't inherently receptive to our message, to get out there and present our message in a constructive way. Uh, The amount of good dialogue that I think that I've been able to catalyze around ending the war on drugs, around uh, around school choice and the reasons why uh, why school choice is so important for not just kids, students, but also teachers themselves, right? So I think, and, and, and another issue that, I think we libertarians tend to shy away from, but can't, not in the political realm, because it's so important to voters, is energy and climate. So that's another area where I've carved out a message, released a statement, and I think have brought some, uh, have advanced the conversation here in Maryland. So from from that perspective, very good. And then I'll add one one thing from the political uh, perspective, Taylor, if I may. Oh, from, absolutely. Yeah, from 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 the political perspective, the challenge for us libertarians or any third party candidate is that typically we are simply irrelevant, right? And what happened here in Maryland is that Christiana and I have escaped irrelevancy. And how did we do so? I think the first part was just being good candidates with good ideas, but the primaries here in Maryland presented two candidates from the wings of their party who are the epitome of Bidenism on the one side, one hand and the epitome of Trumpism on the other hand. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I don't think that there's anything more at, at most than, than 35, 40% of the electorate that really is excited about those options. Right? So, so the primaries opened up arguably 60, 65% of the Maryland voter base to our message, made the, made an addressable market for us that, that was quite large. And then what happened after that, towards the end of July or beginning of August, that was some real positive wind in our sales, is that our current governor, Hogan, uh, I think you could say beloved in the state, right? 65, mm-hmm. 70% approval ratings still. Right. He, uh, he came out to uh, WBAL, and unprompted, 
uh, offered that, in his estimation, the most qualified candidate to succeed him as Maryland governor was not the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate. It was me, David Lasher, based on wow. my yeah, based on my background in both the private and uh, private sector and in public service. So we're doing well. Uh, we're we're tracking uh, four or five percent in polls that are coming out. Uh, on the one hand, I'd like it to be more like 40, 50 percent, of course, right? But mm-hmm. that, that that would be unrealistic. Four four percent around uh, coming out of Labor Day was was very high. Um, tra- we are targeting to get into double digits. And in fact, I'm looking to beat uh, Dan Cox, the MAGA Republican candidate uh, that we have here in Maryland as, as, as my rival. So very, very enthused. Uh, long answer to a simple question, but I wanted to share both the, the kind of substantive policy side as well as the, the political side. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love it. And I think... Um... You know, I, I think Larry Hogan saying that is 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 pretty incredible. Now, you used to work in the Larry Hogan administration. Is that correct? Yeah, I've, I've had my libertarian journey and used to be a, a Republican and did work as a, a top level appointee in the Hogan administration. Oh, that's and, that, yeah, that's very cool. What, uh, what did you do, if you don't mind me asking? Excuse me, uh, frog in my throat. So so I worked in our Department of Health here in Maryland. And the Department of Health is a $14 billion agency. It's uh, by far the largest agency within state government. It is also the most complex of the agencies in state government. And I started out in 2016 as the CIO, Chief Information Officer, running all the all the IT, all the technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, didn't, didn't mess that job up. So I got the opportunity at the end of 2016, when, when there were some changes in the department, to become the number two guy. I, I was the number two person uh, for the secretary, always the number one, right? And I was the chief of staff, the chief operating officer. And so I was running not just technology, but uh, finance and HR. I was not running policy, I, I would I would emphasize. But uh, as far as making that $14 billion organization run, launching initiatives, addressing crises, that's what I did. Oh yeah, no, that's um, yeah, that's very interesting. Now, how did you go from, you know, w- working in Hogan's administration to, to you know, running for for governor? What was the what was the inspiration there? Yeah, well, part of it to answer that question, I have to review why did I leave the Republican Party? Right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm of an age that I was a. Uh, a Reagan Republican, right? Mm. Uh, when Reagan was Reagan, right? Serving, running for office and, and serving in office. And was quite pleased and comfortable to be a Reagan Republican. And and what was called back in those days, a compassionate conservative. A compassionate conservative uh, with Jack Kemp. Do you know Jack Kemp by chance? Taylor? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so he was kind of the he was the face of compassionate conservatism, and and that was the swim lane within the Republican Party in which uh, I spent my time. But what happened to to me, Taylor, was that with the invasion of Iraq under Bush, of course, I started questioning my affiliation with the party. Mm-hmm. There was too too many 
unsettling questions raised with going in and then then staying there afterwards that 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 made me quite uncomfortable. And then the years go by, and in 2015 and 2016, we witness or experience within the Republican Party the rise of Donald Trump. Right. Yeah, and I had seen Donald Trump early in uh, early in his run. I happened to see him here in Maryland in June of 2015. It was right before he formally announced, and he came to an event that that, that I was at for some reason, and he was quite the presence. He was quite the entertainer, but in speaking for a good 50 minutes off the cuff while providing much entertainment and, and amusement, he, 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 he articulated zero ideas. He was, he, he was what I call content free. <laughs> And yeah, it's, and I, it's a I, good description. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think I accurately uh, accurately assessed him in 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 those fifty minutes. I I wrote to a a, a friend and mentor via email afterwards uh, who was interested in the in in Trump's performance. Uh, I, I wrote, well, uh, entertaining, but he's a buffoon in a cartoon. <laughs> and and Taylor, I, I I submit that the the years that have passed since June twenty fifteen have proven me. Uh, nothing but correct in my early assessment, and, and that's not to say. Let me, let me, let me. You know, uh, that's not to say that everything Donald Trump did uh, or stood for was wrong. I don't believe that at all. Right. But, but the price that has been paid through his narcissism and his divisiveness has been far too great a price to be paid for those of us who love liberty. That that then was worthwhile, and what what I don't like about Donald Trump, well, I, I have numerous critiques, but what I what I don't like is that in his narcissism, you know, Donald, who does he care about, Taylor? How many people does Donald Trump care about? Uh, I would say one, maybe himself, <laughs> <laughs> just just the one. Yeah, exactly. That's I would a, agree. It's a short list. Yeah, I think it's a very short list, and and. I think what he's done is he's taken advantage of his followers. I think that he has abused the trust that was put into him. I think that he has missed the opportunities that were in front of him. And I think that he has been a a, a grave setback to uh, what has been a fitful, two steps forward, one step back kind of progress through our whole history here in America of advancing in liberty and justice and prosperity right the mm-hmm. the the movie of our history right is you, you watch the movie it's 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 a story of progress you you, you look at the into any individual snapshot at any point along the way and of course there are problems and disparities and injustices i th- i think that the problem with with donald trump is that he utterly failed to and, and continues to utterly fail to explain w- what has been great about America that, that we should try to sustain versus what has been not great about America, right? And 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 that and, and problems and injustices and disparities that we do need to address to continue our march, as Abraham Lincoln said, and Barack Obama, circa. T- 2008 agreed our our steady march towards a more perfect union right that's 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 the endeavor that we've been jointly 
uh, as a nation embarked upon and that 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 I'm I myself am dedicated to uh, and 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 I think that Donald Trump took us far off course. Yeah, I yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. Um now now how did you know, now how how did how did you get involved with the Libertarian Party specifically? And and you know, how did you, you know, after getting involved with them take that next step into into running for office? Yeah, thanks for getting me back on track there, Taylor. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I was leaving the Republican Party, the, the question, the question, of course, arises: Well, where to next? Mm-hmm. And the Democratic Party wasn't an option for me because of both the practice of identity politics and the inclination towards collectivism or. Uh, status solutions to every problem, uh, unrepentant intervention into all aspects of our lives and our economy, right? right. That's, that's not a place that I could end up. Uh, I, by the way, I'm not saying that there's bad intentions on that side. Not, not Bernie Sanders, right? I think he really believes in what he's preaching. Right. It's, it's, it's just that what he's preaching doesn't bring about the, the vision that he is advocating. So, so yeah, the left always has the best slogans and the best banners, uh, but not the best policies. Right. So I had to think about where, and there really aren't realistically, how many options do you have? Right, Taylor? Uh, but, but the reason that I decided not to just be an independent, uh, or, or otherwise is that we in the libertarian party, well, I've always been a small L libertarian uh, for those for those who remember their um, political philosophy 101, I'm a classical liberal. Right? So Friedman, Hayek, Edmund Burke, uh, the, 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 these, these are uh, my uh, inspirations uh, intellectually. But the, yeah. the liber- yeah, and what the Libertarian Party has that I believe for all its imperfections, and yes, it has plenty, what it has that is redeeming is its non-aggression principle, right? The NAP, mm-hmm. and you know, it's got its formal statement. But the way I, what, what the what the non-aggression principle means to me, is that we in the Libertarian Party have faith in and devotion to people making decisions for themselves and their loved ones, right? It's and 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 what I like to add to that is that in my version of libertarianism libertarianism anyway it's not just faith in people and and local communities being able to make decisions for themselves and figure out how they want to move forward it's it it's also a dedication to helping them out right empowerment providing opportunity uh, that that's that's part of what i like about libertarianism and the libertarian party uh uh, non-aggression principle on, under my interpretation. So, so right. yeah, I joined in very early, most 2017. I, I think that I woke up, made the resolution on January 1st, and then made a couple of phone calls and enlisted, if you will, and ended up uh, taking the opportunity to stand for Congress. I ran for the third congressional district here in Maryland, uh, which was the first or second most gerrymandered congressional district uh, 
uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. But I stood 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 for office. Got my uh, first experience in trying to push our ideas and and become relevant to the to the media who wants to ignore us. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 learning an, another thing about libertarianism, which is that there's always temptation for politicians to trim their sails uh, and and back away from from principle. But I think that one of the things that we have as libertarians and in the libertarian party is is a firm devotion to our principles right don't don't trim the sails don't be a damn fool right mm-hmm, but right. but it's, sticking to principle is something that i learned from uh, a character within the libertarian party arvin vora do you know arvin taylor i actually don't know yeah so arvin arvin a very forceful uh, and and charismatic individual who I believe lives in Montgomery County here in Maryland, and he stood for U.S. Senate in 2018. Uh, very, very, very forceful on principle, and sometimes in my estimation a little bit too much. So, but I learned from him the the vital importance of of of, of sticking to our backbone, right, and saying who we are. And what I try to do, Taylor, to, to finish this thought is not just say what I believe or what my policy is, especially with when I'm with an audience that I strongly suspect is going to disagree with what I am saying. Mm-hmm. I try to spend time explaining why. Right? Why I think my what is is uh, the, the better way forward in order to solve a problem that even when my audience... I suspect doesn't agree with with my policies. I want them to understand that at least nine times out of ten, I care about the problems that we're talking about. Right? It's just I see a different road to solution. And and what I always think about Taylor is is a solution can't just be spending more money to do this, that, or the other thing. Passing a bill and celebrating ourselves for. X millions or billions or trillions of, of, of additional dollars towards towards this good cause. That's that's the problem with American politics and especially with the Democratic Party for, for decades. Uh, what, what, yeah, what we need to focus on is actual sustainable results that will improve whatever it is we're looking at that we want to that we want to improve. Yeah, and and is that something that your finding resonates well there in Maryland, you know, as you hit the, hit the campaign trail and, you know, go to these forums and these events and these meetings, you know, are, are these libertarian principles that, that you're running on something that you're, you're feeling really resonates with voters there? Yes, definitely. Uh, In a way that is palpably different than 2018 when I was standing for Congress, Mm. Uh, this, this election cycle, which for me started in earnest almost exactly a year ago with some some events, some forums last October. What I'm finding is that even if I go into an audience that is very justice oriented, mm-hmm. right, devoted to the DEI agenda, di- um, diversity, equity, inclusion, right, right? Uh, a word I don't typically like to use. I don't like to use. Uh, I don't. I don't engage in dog whistles at all. So I just, but but when we talk about woke politics, if 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 I'm in an audience that is 
politically relatively leaning that way or maybe entirely leaning that way. What I'm finding, Taylor, is that by explaining my why and trying to project my persona, which I submit is a a warm persona, a good a good persona that people can tell I'm not a bad person. Mm-hmm. I find that people want to engage in dialogue. And I find that people, including moderators of these events, are coming up to me and saying, thank you for being here. Your your contributions to the civic conversation, the civic debate are important. I don't agree with what you said, and I'm not going to vote for you, but still, <laughs> we were glad to have you here, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, so that's been about the worst of my experiences. And what Christiana and I are finding is that when we reach either audiences that come together at some event, uh, some forum, or, and Christiana has been especially good about this, getting out uh, and, and interacting with voters at, at, at events. She was in Easton yesterday at a craft beer festival. Nice. Yeah. We, we are, we're getting a stupendously positive reception and, 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 the contrast to four years ago for me is when I was meeting people then, what I consistently heard at least three times out of five, maybe four times out of five, was David, like you well enough, but a, a third party vote is a wasted vote. And so mm. I'm going a different direction. Christiana and I are consistently hearing at three times out of five would be too low. Probably four times out of five, we are hearing. Yes, a third party is what we need. I will vote for you, or I, I will at least look at you. Right? This is this is a this is a sea change, as they say, in only four years. And and I think that the reason for the sea change is that the dreadful duopoly, as I sometimes call them, has been delivering such divisive politics and such dysfunctional policy. That all normal people, you know, those that don't spend half their waking hours on Twitter or Facebook, right? I, right? I think normal people are entirely fed up. I think that they don't believe anything that they hear or read from established media, and and they're ready to vote different, as as Christiana and I say. Our challenge is reaching these people and and letting them know that we're here. And I'm here. I'm here to tell you that. That the established media is is uh, not very interested in helping uh, bring uh, our campaign or Green Party, right? Nancy right. Wallace is my rival from the Green Party. We differ on pol- on on many policies, not all. As it, um, we respect each other immensely, and we are both finding that the established media outlets, whether it's their coverage or the debates that they are sponsoring, mm-hmm. they're determined to exclude us from the conversation because they are bought into the two-party holy war narrative that they need to sell. And, and so all they want anybody to think is that there's only the choice of angelic Westmore or uh, devilish uh, Dan Cox. I don't mean devilish, like devilishly handsome, right? <laughs> I mean demonically. That 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 notion of devil devilishly, right? Right. And yeah. and uh, Taylor, to close out this thought, what I would say is that 
I emerged from my 2018 experience with a certain degree of optimism or a, a certain degree of retained faith in the media. I'm emerging, I'm emerging from 2022 at, th- at this point, uh, not only jaded, but dismayed at the uninterest of the media in being inclusive of any voices or options other than the two big party options. It's a disgrace. I, it's a fail. I, I, it's certainly not journalism, right? And and uh, it's it's a problem for our democratic republic, right? It's a it's a problem for our for for uh, our future. But but my my response is to uh, to fix my determination and continue with the messages, and then try to outflank the main media by by talking to people like you, Taylor, right? Right. Yeah, I, I think that's half. That's how you have to go about it. I mean, I I think you're absolutely right that may, maybe now more than ever there is this solid base of voters that is just over the past couple of years been completely dis disaffected with the two major parties. I, I consider myself in that camp. Um, I didn't start off a libertarian, you know, like like most other people. I kind of found my way um, over here. And I, I, I think you face the same problem that I hear from libertarian candidates um, all over the country. Um, I, I live in Texas, uh, San Antonio, and I had uh, Mark Tippetts, who's the candidate for governor, uh, libertarian candidate for governor here. And Beto and, and Governor Abbott had their debate a couple couple days back. Of course, Mark Tippetts was, was not allowed on there, um, but he does a lot of podcast. And during that debate between those two, he did um, like a live tweeting session where he was responding to the questions himself and, and people. So I, I, you know, I think you just have to get creative and um, in, in how you reach out to voters. And like you said, try to outflank the, the mainstream media in, in your approach. And just, you know, while we're kind of, you know, counting down on time here, I'd like to, I'd like to dive into some, some of your policy uh, positions. You, you mentioned a couple early on, um, but what are, what are some of the big issues that you're talking about there on the on the campaign trail? I imagine school choice and ending the war on drugs are, are maybe two of the big ones. What what are some of the big issues you're you're focusing on? Yeah, th- those are two of the big ones. What I try to emphasize about school choice or where, where the money needs to follow the child is that. What we need to do is make K through 12 educational system more like the higher ed, college and university educational system that works reasonably well. I certainly have my critiques, but it works mm-hmm. pretty well, right? And and the teachers, they need in their profession and for their own careers to have more flexibility and be, you know, be recruited uh, like good IT people are in my, my, my own profession. Okay? The, the winners will... Those who are good will get recruited and have accelerated careers and the highest the highest salaries. But but young, here's another part of it for teachers. Why shouldn't why shouldn't generally young teachers be allowed to band together, let's say five or six that cover different topics, and be what I call educational entrepreneurs, open their own schools, be their be be not just on their educational mission, but but be running their own business. 
and we, and we can help. And we, we, what we can do is make the physical infrastructure for the school system serve like an incubator in business for, for again, technologies, biotech or infotech. We create, with public money, we create incubators to help startups getting get their footing. And then after X number of years, and, and they've had their chance to get their footing, we kick them out of the nest, right? Mm. The, 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 that's the kind of innovation and dynamism that we need in, in education, but are, are not going to receive if we continue on the uh, model of uh, public monopolies that provide no choice and are devoted to doing the same thing, uh, the same thing as they've been doing for decades with miserable results, but simply upping the pay of everybody who's in that system that is delivering poorly. That's not what we need. So that's school choice. Ending the war on drugs need to uh, need to do that because there is no other policy that will reduce crime in urban or rural areas. In rural areas, the the the, the reason is maybe not so much the reduction in crime, though, though, though there will be that. It is addressing those who are suffering the hell of addiction, the opioid crisis. Right. The opioid crisis is arguably worse in rural areas than in urban, right? And, 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 and tied into this is the homelessness problem, right? Those who are hom- homelessness being uh, overwhelmingly those who are suffering uh, those who are in chronic homelessness, right, suffering mental illness, substance use disorders, or addiction, right, and what's called a dis- disaffiliation, uh, they, they've broken re- broken ties with family and friends, right? Mm-hmm. There's, 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 there's no other way to get a renaissance of, of hope and progress in places like Baltimore that, but, but to start by ending the war on drugs. Uh, gun control is not going to do it. Right. Stif- stiffer penalties for crimes is not going to do anything at all. So we, we need we need bold approaches like uh, like like saying yes, we need to legalize narcotics, making them available like we do medical cannabis through certified dispensaries, not having open air markets like the Tenderloin District of San Francisco that shows us how not to do things. Right. Right. Uh, more like the model of Netherlands and and Portugal, where there are harm reduction centers and other uh, other ways of making sure that the black market. Is removed, uh, but civil society at the street level doesn't fall apart, right? You don't have people; people don't just sit down on the curb and light up their blunt. Uh, that's that's not what we want, right? We right. just we, we it's kind of a don't don't ask, don't tell kind of arrangement that uh, that in Europe has worked well. So that's that's what I would want to pursue. What a I'll, I'll mention two other issues uh, mm-hmm. as we as we try to wrap up here. Yeah, uh, I I touched on one aspect of I mean homelessness, but housing, right? Affordable housing, especially for those in historically disadvantaged communities like Baltimore City up here, uh, but especially for young people just getting started in their lives. Right? We can have rent to own programs. That is 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 one way to help. Mm-hmm. Here in Baltimore City, the the city of Baltimore owns 15,000 vacant or empty houses, the row, the row houses that are kind of famous in Baltimore, if you've seen pictures. The, another 15,000 vacant homes are owned by 
private entities, uh, usually usually small scale uh, LLCs that are looking to um, have invested in real estate but uh, are not fixing up the real estate that they have in Baltimore. But between incentives and cooperation, we need to start to rehabilitate these vacant properties because they are at root cause of so much of the unfortunate behavior and and problems that that we have in Baltimore uh, and 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 cities like it. But but in Baltimore, the vacant housing is is a worse, more acute problem than than other places. Uh, uh, two other things that are more traditionally uh, in this uh, libertarian. The one of the reasons that I stood forward to uh, be a candidate for governor here in Maryland uh, was because by November of 2020, I think uh, I lost my I lost my patience, my inability to sit to the side while we were being subjected to lockdowns and mandates that the data itself did uh, did not support. Right. Uh, it was very clear in the summer of 2020, anybody looking at the data, that unless you were over 60 and unless you suffered some very specific comorbidities, overweight, right, diabetes, cardiopulmonary disease, you weren't at meaningful risk uh, of, of severe, uh, of, of mortality from COVID. So we should have been returning to school and work in the fall of 2020. Those who were willing, I would have mandated people, I would not have mandated teachers to go back to the classroom, but I would not have prevented the willing from doing doing so if they so wished. And many were, many were willing to go back. And we're beginning to see the tremendous social costs that were imposed, especially on children who were the least vulnerable to COVID, right? Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's uh, yeah. You, you read about the the studies coming out now about the effects that the mask mandates and the lockdowns had on kids, and it's it's horrific, really. Yeah, it is. And so, so next time, so 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 of prime urgency to me, and I already have a model bill for it. We need to make sure that next time, executive authorities, governors, for example, declare a health crisis. And start dictating measures that are justified in the name of the health crisis. We need to make sure that there are constraints on 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 what the executives, Republican, Democrat, or otherwise, can do. So, put time limits on them. Any extensions need to be put forth to the legislature. We call it the Assembly here in, in Maryland. There needs to be the right to appeal to the judiciary for intrusions and incursions on our fundamental constitutional rights, whether it's the state constitution or or the federal constitution. We, we, we just can't have this arbitrary exercise of power that was assumed by, so far as I can tell, 50 out of 50 governors across the state, uh, across the United States. So those, th- those are a handful, Taylor. Right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely glad you 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 mentioned the COVID lockdowns and mandates. I think um, I think that was pro- honestly probably my biggest uh, catalyst for becoming a libertarian. I I, I was more of a, a left leaning guy, you know, before 
all of that started happening. And, and, you know, like you, I, I was looking at the data and the, the science, you know, I, I, I like to be well-informed about things going on, especially if we're shutting down society, <laughs> you know, I like to, I like to know why we're doing that. And, um, like you said, the data just didn't back it up. And it, it was, it was shocking to me to see both Democrats and Republicans just so willing to, to, to infringe on our civil liberties so heavily. Well, and I, think there, too, I, I, I think too many regular citizens were too much behaving like sheep as well, right? Oh, uh, yes. It, it is up to us to stand up for our rights. And, and I don't think that there was enough of that in 2020 into 2021. But but then again, the the look, the Republicans were offering so many deficient uh, alternatives to the Democrats, who I submit were more more relatively more inclined towards continuing the lockdowns, right, right. And, and delaying the return to normalcy. The, the Republicans have have not been offering the right alternatives, and so so that's one of the reasons that I, I've stepped forward. And and on that, just one last thought that I think it's important to get out there and all of us yeah. lib- libertarians to be emphasizing we talk to friends family voters whomever the 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 key to libertarianism goes back to the non-aggression principle and and as governor how would i handle the situation besides being data driven mm-hmm. i would i would seek to be an educator right helping people to understand know what the data is understand the data and reach reach decisions for themselves run the let them determine what was and wasn't risky for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that gets down to uh, a phrase that I like to use, and, and we'll close on here, which is that if, if elected governor, I would be devoted to persuasion instead of tempted by coercion in addressing problems. Right? Persuasion over coercion. I think that is a fundamental aspect of libertarianism that more people need to hear about. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, thank you so much for stepping into the arena. Like you said, I think we have to stand up and and fight for our liberties. Uh, Otherwise no one else will and, and they'll disappear. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to, you know, that, that someone like you is, is running for governor and, and is fighting for those principles. Just as we're closing here, I uh, just want to give you the opportunity to to shout out anything you might want to, you know, website, Twitter handle, any events you have coming up, any anything like that as, as we close out here. Yeah, it's easy to find me on all the digital properties if you know that my last name is spelled with an A-R. So it's Lasher, L-A-S-H-A-R, David Lasher. Uh, you can check us out. Uh, just, just released... Uh, Video with Larry Sharp from New York, who you might know. Um, oh, most, wow. mo- yeah, most li- libertarians do with uh, a libertarian approach to to the very controversial topic of of reparations. But speaking to uh, it's 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 an empowerment oriented approach instead of a punishment oriented approach that we hear in, from too many quarters, right? Mm. So yeah, so just um, check check out the campaign, and I think most of all, wherever you might be listening to this. Support your libertarian candidates that are out there engaging with voters uh, and and try to break away from from just being keyboard warriors, which I think that uh, too 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 many in the uh, too many of us in the the lib, in the freedom movement in the libertarian um, movement 
too, too many people spending too much time on digital need to get out from that and um, interact with with real human beings and 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 again support your candidates i think that's the mission it absolutely is david lasher thanks for coming on the show i really do appreciate it man it's been awesome talking to you today thank you i, I enjoyed it and i hope i didn't uh talk too much taylor uh, you, no no it was okay. it was awesome again really appreciate you coming on the show all right i look forward to coming back someday thank you all right thank you <laughs>